Okay, if you'd open up um, your Bibles to Ephesians um, chapter 2 this morning. Um, I want to talk to you about um, a extremely important matter. Um, a matter so important that doesn't matter which age you are, doesn't matter the background, doesn't matter your ethnicity. <clears throat> An important matter that, as we're going to find out, has eternal consequences. Um, A matter that, whether you're six, seven years of age, whether you're 10, 11, whether you're a boy or girl, um, it doesn't make a difference. And it's a matter that, as we're going to find out, that is so important and vital to one's life. If you look in Ephesians chapter 2, Paul is writing to the Ephesians. He's writing to a group of believers. And he says in verse 1, he says, And you, he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. I know we use different versions of the Bible, and we use different ways to translate the Bible. But this is one area, if you, if you look in the words, and you, he made alive, if you're reading from the New King James, um, which I'm using, they're in italics. That means these words were not originally in the original manuscripts, but they were added to give clarification to Scripture. And the way Paul writes here, he says, and you who were dead in trespasses and sins. You who were dead. This reminds me of a more lighter uh, writing when Charles Dickens wrote his popular Christmas carol and he opens up the book he says Marley was dead to begin with there is no doubt whatsoever about that the register of his burial was signed by the clergyman the clerk, the undertaker and the chief mourner Scrooge signed it and Scrooge's name was good upon change for anything he chose to put his hand to old Marley was dead as a doornail and a bit of humour he has mine I don't mean to say that I know of my knowledge what is particularly dead about a doornail it might, I might have been inclined to myself to regard a coffin as the deadest piece of ironmongery in the trade, but the wisdom of our ancestors is in this simile, and my unhallowed hands shall not disturb it, or the country's done for. You will therefore permit me to repeat emphatically that Marley was dead as a doornail. And I've taken from Charles Dickens famous words that we're dead as a doornail. Don't worry, this isn't a Christmas story. I'm not going to go on to his popular Christmas novel. But this is of far more importance. When Jude began his epistle, he said he was very eager to write write about our common salvation, but found it necessary to appeal to his readers to contend for the faith. I want to speak about what Jude initially wanted to talk about, our common salvation. While Jude calls it our common salvation, it is anything but common. While he implied he intended to write about the basics of salvation, there is nothing common, ordinary, or simple about our salvation. Salvation is not, sorry, salvation is the one single most important experience an individual can experience. Salvation is life-changing 
affecting the infinitude of eternity. So whatever age you are, this message is of vital importance that you listen and you look and you heed. Paul told the Corinthians to examine themselves to see whether they were in the faith. He said, test yourselves unless you fail to meet the test. So even while Paul was writing to a Christians, and he was writing to born-again believers, he says, examine yourselves. This is one area you can't take a chance in. I'm not here to question anyone's salvation. That's God's responsibility. But I am here to remind us of those who have experienced God's salvation, the experience that it has made in our life. But also to challenge the hearts of anyone who may not have ever made that, that decision to truly experience God's gift of salvation. The word salvation is used some 188 times in the Bible, 53 of them in the New Testament. This is not a New Testament. This is not a New Covenant idea. Salvation has been around since the beginning of time, and we hear it repeatedly over and over. Um, the psalmist speaking of salvation. It's not something that should be taken lightly. It should not be something that we pass by as a passing whim. There is no greater decision that can be made than to give one's life to God, trusting in Jesus' redemptive work on the cross. So as we look in Ephesians chapter 2, we'll read verses 1 to 10, and then we're going to pick it apart a little bit. In Ephesians chapter 2, in verse 1, he said, You, he made alive, and you who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of the world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we are once conducted ourselves into the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and by nature, children of wrath, just as others. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love by with which he loved you, even when you were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you're saved. And has raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. There's two different sections um, in, this, in, in this passage. Originally, the Greek, this whole section was one sentence. Um, just for our English-sized reading, we've divided up. We put a bit of punctuation, put a, put a few full stops in there. But originally, this whole section here was one long sentence. Paul is known for his long sentences, uh, but he's also known for his ability to write as well. So we see this divided in two sections. We see, one, the death we lived, and we see the life we now live. As I said, I've entitled this, Deader Than a Doornail. Because not only were we dead as a door now, we were deader than that. There was nothing that we had. And Paul breaks it up very very clearly in the way he presents his, his writings here. 
I mean, first of all, he says that you who are dead in trespasses and sins. We guys were dead in our sins. There was no life in us. And this goes for every one of us. It's not a once-off thing. It's not all this. Some people are, are deader than others. It's not some people are dead and some people are alive. It's not like some people are male and female. We're dead in life. It's none of that. When we come into this world, we are deader than doorknob. Paul writes to the Romans, he says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all have sinned. We're all dead. And the great joy it is to see that young life come into the world at birth, that child comes is born spiritually dead. From the time we were born, there was no indication or inclination or responsiveness to God. We were spiritually dead and there was no life in us. We're not just in some unresponsive or we weren't just lethargic, but as we find out in the next verse, we were actively living in the realm of sin, enjoying the pleasures and its lusts. We were enjoying our death. And he says, You were dead in your trespasses and sins. And I like this word trespasses because it means we missed the mark. A.J. William Hudson would remember this when we went on our holidays. And we went archery. We went to the archery range. And there's A.J. and Hudson and William pulling back the bow and let the arrow fly. And it didn't hit the mark. They were lucky to get even on the frame where the target was. I don't think very many of you got into the target. I had a go, and I got it onto the target, but I couldn't get it on the bullseye. Only Holly did that, but she's special. <laughs> it's like taking an aim with that bow and arrow and shooting it like the boys were and missing it every time, time after time after time after time. It missed the target. That's what it means. This word trespass means. We've missed the mark. Like Dan talked to us this morning at the table service about the guy who built the dome structure, this architect who said, I don't need these pillars. And he built the pillars 10 centimeters away from the top. But those pillars didn't reach. They didn't get there. There was still a gap. And as tall as those pillars were, they weren't sufficient. They didn't meet the mark. They didn't reach the top. And while it's a poor example because the, the architecture purposefully did that, it's the same point. It wasn't sufficient. Even if it was a centimeter away, it wasn't sufficient to hold that structure up. And that's what we were to God. God said, here's my standard. If you want, to be, if you want heaven, if you want salvation, here's the standard. And all of us are taking aim. Aim after, uh, shot after shot after shot. And every single one of us missed the mark. Repeatedly, over and over again. Everything we tried to do, the very best we could do, it missed the mark. It wasn't sufficient. Why is that? Because he says, you walked according to the course of the world. According to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit, spirit who now works, the sons of disobedience. We were following Satan. That's why we missed the mark. We couldn't see God because we were following Satan. We were obsessed. We were, being, we were deluded by Satan's lies that we were just happily following along in the course of death with the rest of the world just going about our way not even acknowledging that God was there 
no, no even looking towards it. We weren't we're we even aware of our hopelessness. We weren't aware that we were missing the mark. We thought we were doing good, some of us. But we still missed the mark. Paul talks of himself about all the great things he did. That he was a Jew. He was the tribe of Benjamin. He did this. He was, he was zealous for the law. But he said none of that was good enough. <coughs> Prophet Isaiah talks about how that our very best when it stands before God is just disgusting, filthy rags of no use to anyone. It says we, had, we, we were the sons of disobedience. Prior to salvation, we were the sons of Satan living in his lies and deceptions. When we're saved, we become children of God. But without salvation, we're children of the devil. We live in this hopelessness. We live lost, missing the mark repeatedly, time after time. He says that we lived among, among whom also we once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and the mind, and were in nature the children of wrath, just as others. It was in our nature to sin. That's what we did best. The best thing we could do was to sin. And as we said before, we were born that way. Whatever we, whatever we, we did whatever we wanted to to satisfy our sinful desires. Now you can turn around to me and say, well, that's the way I was born, so I can't help it. How can God hold me responsible when that's the way I was born? Guys, we can't use that as an excuse. We cannot use the excuse that that's the way, excuse that that's the way I was born, therefore that's the way I am. Although it's in our nature to sin, we're living as children of wrath. We're children of the devil, but we're children, and living in that way, we're the children of God's wrath. In that state, we are subjected to God's wrath. And what does Romans 6.23 say? The punishment for, or, or the wages of living that way are? It's death. A death from God, a separation from God, an eternal death. If we continue in the way in which we are born. Living in death, we are dead of the doornail. While we even lived, we were dead. We were living in not a physical death, but even worse, we were living in eternal death. Because there was no life in us, and sin reigned in us, God's punishment for us, and for all those who did not believe, is hell. And guys, we can sugarcoat it, we can make it sound as nice as possible, but if we are not saved, if you have not accepted Christ as your Savior into your heart, there is only one hope for you. And we can say, oh, you're separated, or it's death, but guys, there's a punishment for not accepting Christ, and that's hell. That's why, guys, this is so important. No matter who you are, what background you come from, or what religion you are, or whatever you, you know, male or female, you know, if you're five years old or 105, it doesn't make a difference. If you've not accepted Christ in your heart, there's only one, there's only one place you go. And that's the death of eternal hell. That's why it's so vital. That's why this, this single most decision, and oftentimes in a church, we take it for granted of our salvation. But as Paul wrote to the Corinthians, be careful because there's some of you who don't believe. 
And oftentimes we forget to bring up this topic of salvation I mean, the church because we just accept it, for gra- take it for granted that we're all okay because we come to church and we all t- talk like we're saved, so it's sufficient. But Paul wants to create this message to some of you who aren't saved. You need, to, you need to test yourself. You need to make sure that you're saved. And I'm not here to make anybody doubt their salvation. That's not the purpose of this. But we need to ensure that we have made that decision. That we need to be constantly testing ourselves, making sure we're living um, the hope of that salvation. Be assured, hell is as sure a guarantee for those who do not believe as heaven is for those who do believe. There's only one hope if you're if you're spiritually dead. And as sure as, as heaven is to the believer, hell is as sure as to those who do not believe. That sounds bad. Doesn't it? That's it. You know, you're dead. You don't have there is you can't do anything to get out of that death. And then in verse 4, we read two of the most precious, special, wonderful words in all of Scripture. But God. While you were dead in your sins, while you were not only dead, but chasing after the devil, while you were living in a state that was condemned to hell, condemned to die, but God stepped in. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. Even when we are dead and our trespasses, even when we are trying our very best and still miss the mark, God loved us. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that absolutely wonderful? That when we were doing everything we could to fight against God, He loved us. That's just the, the I think that's the most wonderful words in all of Scripture. Because when we were living that way, God stepped in. God wanted to make a change in our life. He's, God displayed His glory by showing His boundless love and mercy. To those who are spiritually dead. Because there is a hope. We're not condemned to die. Because God made a way out. He's given us through it. Because of his love guys. Because of his love for us. We can have hope. It says in verse 5. Even when we were dead in trespasses. He made us alive. Together with Christ. It's just wonderful. Paul writes to the Romans, he said, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. When we were his enemies, we were reconciled to God. We were fighting against God with everything we had the power to do. But God loved us. He came when we, not only were we dead and lethargic to him, when we were his enemies, he he, he stepped in and actively took role by sending Jesus Christ to die for us. To give us a hope. And it is through grace alone, Paul says here, for by grace you are saved. The same passage of Romans, 
It says that we were saved by Christ from the wrath of God. We were saved by Christ's life. He came to live among us and he died. He rose again and his life has saved us. This passage reminds me of um, Ezekiel um, chapter 37. I'm sure you're familiar. We won't turn to but the, the story of the valley of the dry bones. And God comes to Ezekiel and he gives him a vision. He said, the spirit of the Lord showed Ezekiel a valley of dry bones. They were dead. He says, they were very dry with no life in them. God tells Ezekiel, says, behold, I will cause breath to enter you. And you shall live and you shall know that I am the Lord. You know, that's what we were. We were those dead, dry bones. I heard a podcast about a, this place in, in, in Texas where the University of Texas uses this place to, to kind of research dead bodies. So there's, a whole, there's this whole field littered with dead bodies that people spot, give their bodies for this research. And they, some people will be buried, some people will be laying on the ground, some people will be under trees, some people will be in bags, some will be enclosed, not closed. And they use this to research these bodies. And as you walk through that field, all those bodies are dead. There's no life in any of them. There are these valley of dry bones. There was no life. The God steps in and, and just as he told Ezekiel, I will breathe into you, I will breathe the breath of life. And you're going to live. And that's what Christ did for us when he died on the cross. As salvation, God regenerated, he reconciled, he redeemed, he atoned, he justified, he sanctified, and he purified us. He made us one with him. Our salvation was complete at the very moment that Christ saved us. He made us alive in the past. At the moment of our salvation, we were made alive. And he says we are raised up in verse Six, he says, we are raised up together and and he has made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. When we were saved, we were regenerated to new life. A change has taken place so that we now live, not as we did in our dead past, but we live in triumphant victory. We are seated with Christ in heavenly places. As Paul says, we're more than conquerors. We've done it, guys. Through Christ, we've done it. We've become conquerors. We've, be, we've overcome death through what Christ has done in our lives. He's raised us up. But that means, guys, that's the way we should be living. We should be living raised up. We should be living in this new life. We didn't just get saved as God says, continue the way you work. No, we live differently. We live as if we are the sons of God. We might live here on earth, but we should live, live as, as if we are in, were in heaven with Christ. Whereas before, when we were dead, God saw our death. But now when God looks at us, he sees, our pure, he sees us as purified as his son. So we should live as royal children that we are. Which we lived, raised up in new lives. He says that, and then, that in ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. We have a future as well. This isn't it, guys. It would be a pretty sad existence if this is all it was. If we had to live pure lives in this world, if that was all it was, it would be pretty sad. But we have a future and a hope. We've been promised a future resurrection. While we live in victory now, we haven't even yet begun to comprehend the extent of our salvation. We've been saved, yes. We live in progressive sanctification. We should be progressing to become like Christ. 
guys, we haven't even seen the best of it yet. There comes a day when we get to heaven, when guys, we won't even be able to comprehend. We will spend all of eternity marveling at the immeasurable riches of God, of his endless and limitless grace and kindness. We will spend all eternity seeking to know the extent of God's love, and yet we will never, even all of eternity, be able to fully understand God's love. It's so massive. It's so deep. It's so infinite. It's like going, sitting a spaceship out into the infinitude of space. It, it will never reach an end. And that's what it's like if we try to discover God's love. We can search and search and understand and comprehend more and more and more and more, but we'll never fully understand God's love. Because that's how great he loved us. That's how much he loved us. And we never understand it. Yet we see, we have an eternal salvation. It's past we're made alive. In the present we're raised up. In the future we will be seated with him. But I want to take a moment to look at the act of salvation. What did it mean when God saved us? Two of the verses that probably everybody in here has memorized. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. By grace you're saved. What does grace mean? What is grace? We talk about it a lot. What is grace? Grace is God extending to us all the riches of Christ's sonship to us because of what Christ did for us. A simple alliteration is God's riches at Christ's expense. We get to fellowship and all the inheritance that Christ receives as being the Son of God, we get to take part in all of that. That's what grace means. We get it all, guys. Everything is ours because of Christ did for us. Grace provides and secures and guarantees our salvation. It's done. There's no more that has to be done. It's finished. When Christ died on the cross, he said, It is finished. Not his life, because he was going to come back from the, from the dead. He said, it's finished. What I've come to accomplish is done. Your salvation is complete. It's done, guys. We need to live that way. He says, by grace you've been saved. It's a perfect, ten- uh, perfect tense. It's fully secured. It's done. It's complete. It's finalized. Paul wrote to the Colossians in Colossians 2, verse 13 to 15. He says, And you who were dead in your trespasses and circumcision in your flesh, God made alive together with him. He forgave all of our trespasses. He cancelled the record of debt. The wages of sin is death. So God cancelled that debt when Christ died for us. He said he cancelled the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. The legal demands demanded death. And he's counted that. This he set aside. He set aside the punishment of death. He nailed it to the cross. It says he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. The power that once held us in death, Satan, is his power is gone. And we've been freed. By grace you've been saved through faith. Man's reaction to God's grace is to have faith in him that he is the only means by which we can be saved. 
However, faith is the channel of God's grace, not necessarily the cause. This is by faith. He said, we've been saved through faith and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. This very faith by which we believe is a gift of God. Faith is itself a gift. It's not our own doing. If we tried to do it in our own power, we still couldn't have the faith it would take to believe in Christ. This is by faith. It's the gift of faith that God has given to us that we can believe. Even though it is reliant on us to have faith in order to believe, it is God who gives us this faith. So salvation is nothing that we have done, but all an act of God. Because remember, he did this when we are at enmity with him. As he says, and if he's not clear, uh, Paul says it's not of works, so that's anyone should boast. It's very clear that salvation is nothing that we can do. We have no reason to boast, he says, and it's important that we don't have a reason to boast. If we could work towards it, then it would not be a gift. It'd be a just payment for what we've done. And it would be God's doing. If we were able to work towards our salvation, then that's what you do. Just like you go to work and you expect to get paid. If we work towards salvation to get salvation, then that should be what's expected from it. But it's not anything that we can do. If we could work for it, it would be a just payment for what we had done, thereby making Christ's work on the cross irrelevant. But what is Romans, again, go back to Romans 6, 23. What does he say was the wages that we were entitled to in the way we were living? The wages was death. For by grace you have been saved through faith. Not of yourselves it is the gift, the sweet, wonderful, gracious gift of God. Not of works, lest anyone should boast. Lest we think we did anything to, do, to gain our salvation, we didn't. God's done it all through Christ Jesus. He's the one who saved us. So what does that mean? So are we saved and that's it? That's sufficient? He says in verse 10, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus. Four good works, for God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Very quickly, we'll cover this verse. So we're his workmanship. We're God's work of art. We're his masterpiece when we're saved and we walk in newness of life. In salvation, we return, we return to the original masterpiece that he made man. When God made Adam and Eve, he said it's perfect. And it's very good. It's wonderful. But Adam and Eve marred that perfection that God had made in man. And he has, through salvation, reestablished us to this perfection, this masterpiece. Again, another example is Holly's work with pottery. You know, I don't know if she'll claim that she has a masterpiece, but you see this work of art that she does. These hairs that she's making now, they're perfect. They look exactly like a small hair sitting there. But that's what God wants it to be, that we're his masterpiece. So we are his workmanship. He's made us who we are. So we're created in Christ Jesus. We have a new life. We're creating Christ for good works. Well, good works cannot produce salvation, they are the subsequent resultant God-empowered fruits and evidence of salvation. Works don't produce salvation, but they should be produced through salvation. We should live in good works um, as part of our new life. We've been saved. We've been given a new life. We've been created through Christ Jesus, making us what he originally planned for us to be. 
And while it's not here directly, it's alluded to this when he says, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This new life that God prepared, as we read in other passages, it was prepared for us before the foundations of the world. So for those who might doubt the salvation or might think they can lose the salvation, guys, salvation is eternal. God planned it from eternity past to eternity future. It's all-encompassing. Our salvation is secure. If you truly accepted Christ, if you truly experienced God's wonderful gift of salvation, it's done, guys. There's nothing else. If you truly experience God's salvation, you're secure. Your life is secure in Christ. So, the question we ask ourselves today, where are we? Paul told the Corinthians to examine themselves. Am I trusting in Jesus' work in my life salvation? Or, do you know what? I think I'm pretty good. I'm getting along pretty well. I'm doing okay. I think I should get to heaven. Or, maybe I think, you know what? I have enough time. I don't need to make a decision now. I'm going to enjoy life a little bit. Let me, you know, I'm only young. I'm only you know, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12. I've got plenty of time. It's okay. I can worry about that stuff later. Jesus tells a parable of a man who did a similar thing. He said, I'm going to make burns. I'm going to make, get rich. I'm going to have enjoy my money. And God says, you fool. This night your soul is required of you. Whether you're five, whether you're six, seven, if you're able to understand the importance of salvation, don't put it off before it's too late. Don't say, I want to enjoy life a little bit. I'm only young, I have loads of time. Don't put it off. Because now is the day of salvation. Today, this instant, is the time for you to believe. Or maybe you think, you know what, God can never forgive me. You don't know the things I've done. I'm really bad. I've done horrible things. Apologist Rabbi Zacharias says, Herein lies the cardinal difference between the moralizing religions and Jesus. Jesus' offer to us. Jesus does not offer to make bad people good. He offers to make dead people alive. In God's mind, there is no good, good or badder or badder or badder. It's all the same. Sin is sin to him. He, made, he came to make dead people alive. You might hear someone say, as the good book says, God helps only those who help themselves. That's the farthest it is from truth. Because God helped those who were helpless. He helped his enemies. God transforms the hopeless to hopeful from the helpless to helpful. No one is beyond God's reach of salvation. What about us who are saved? Are we living as being raised up with him and seated in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus? Are we living that way? Are we living enjoying the hopes of our future salvation and future heaven? Are we living that today? God says he's raised us up there. He set us with Christ in heaven. Are we living to the full extent of our salvation that we can now live? 
If not, guys, and these for us who, who are believers, then we should examine ourselves so that we can live in the full light of future glory, glorifying God in our lives. So, as we come to conclusion this morning, you're only one or two parts. You're either dead or you're alive. You're either a child of Satan or you're a child of God. God's done everything you need to be done. He's done it all. Is he giving you the faith to believe today? If he is, accept it. I beg of you, if you have never ever made a personal decision to accept Christ, God's free gift of salvation, do so today. Do it now. If you're not sure quite how to do it, ask. Because there is no greater decision you will make in your entire life than to accept Christ in your life. You never know when it may be too late. Do it today, if you've never done it before. Dear God, we thank you for your marvelous gift, your wonderful gift, your eternal gift of salvation. For those beautiful words that when we were dead, when we were at odds with you, but God loved us. And Lord, we can have a hope in you. Lord, I pray if there are people here today who have never truly experienced that gift of salvation, God, I would ask that you speak to their hearts. Speak to them clearly. Speak to them urgently to make a decision to accept your wonderful gift of salvation. Praise those believers who are here, Lord, that we might live in anticipation of that future glory that we will have in heaven, glorifying our lives, glorifying you, the lives now. But we thank you for your wonderful, wonderful gift. In Jesus' name, amen.